0: Well, please turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 through 32 this morning. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 32. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 861. Beloved saints, this is God's word. Let us give our attention uh, to the reading of it. down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? For who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and they were filled with awe saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he arose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This ends the reading of God's word. Let us ask for his blessing to be on our time uh, in it this morning. Our most gracious Lord, our hearts are indeed prone to wander. Our minds are slow to understand. We are not by nature people of your word. And so we ask that you would be among us, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would illumine our minds and that you would give us ears to hear your truth, your most holy truth, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had a child ask you what a word means? that you use all the time only to find out that it's very hard to define and explain. Uh it can be quite surprising sometimes. You think you have a grasp of this ter- this word and, and the child says, What does that mean? And you say, Well uh and sometimes it's because words are hard to define uh and to explain uh, abstractly. Because they're they're words that are best understood uh, in experience, uh, in context. But sometimes it's because we lack clarity on just exactly what those words mean. And I think that can often happen for us as Christians. There are words we use, but when asked to define them, we suddenly find ourselves at a loss for words. Now to be sure, there are some words that are simply hard to define and explain. They are deep. and co- They're heady, like Trinity. That's, that's a tough one to explain. But there are other terms that I often find Christians struggle to explain that are simpler, like gospel. And I think another one is discipleship. I think we all know that discipleship is important, We know that it's part of Christian growth, what we call another hard-to-explain word, sanctification. (laughs) But we're not always clear exactly what the goal of discipleship is or how it is accomplished. And it's okay to admit our confusion because when you admit confusion, you invite clarification. And it affords the opportunity for better understanding. Uh, Our passage today includes uh, in it the calling of another disciple. Last week, we saw the calling of uh, Simon, who will later be known as Peter. And and as well, we saw last week the calling of James and John with him, uh, the brothers. And today we're going to see the calling of a man named Levi, uh, also or later on known as Matthew. And as with the calling of Simon, there's this story of a miracle attached. Uh, with Simon last week, we saw uh, this healing of the leper, and that miracle was meant to mirror what Jesus was doing uh, spiritually with, with Simon. And the same will be true today. This healing of the paralytic is meant to mirror and explain What's going on with Levi? But these two stories of calling these disciples that we saw last week and this week are not meant to be read from a safe distance as if they were unrelated to us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have been called to be his disciple. And within these episodes is a beautiful picture of the call to all disciples of Jesus the call of discipleship. And so while it does not say everything that it could about discipleship, it does make clear that discipleship is about learning to lay your life down that Christ might raise you up to something new. Part of what discipleship is about is learning to lay your own life down in order that Christ might raise you up to something new. And that's what we're going to see uh, today. And to see this, we first want to see how the images of the healing of the leper last week and the raising of the paralytic this week are meant to be read together to give us a picture of death and resurrection. Uh, Once we've done that, we can see how ultimately those are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that these are truly pointing to Christ's own death and resurrection. But finally, we do want to see how he serves as a pattern for us to follow as his disciples. And so that's what we want to see this morning. Uh, The structure that we see in our passage today is is the same as last week, but in reverse. Last week, we started with the calling of the disciple and then the healing of the leper. This week we start with the healing of the paralytic and then the calling of the disciple. It's reversed, but the the, the imagery is the same. The order is reversed, but the point's the same, that the calling of the disciple and the miracle are meant to mirror and explain each other. There's something intentional about that miracle. And again, we, we find, as we did last week, Jesus is teaching. Again, a large crowd has gathered in and is pressing in on him. And this time, however, Luke is careful to point out that also in attendance are some Pharisees and teachers of the law. It's not shocking. Uh, they were the religious leaders of the time, and Jesus is teaching. He's growing in popularity. It's very natural for the religious leaders to uh, want to come and see what he's teaching and what he's all about. And while he's teaching, some men bring a friend who's paralyzed with the hope that Jesus might heal this paralyzed man. Finding no way to him because the crowd is packed so tight, they go up on the roof and they start removing tiles so as to make an opening so they can lower him down through the roof. I, I love how Christians read passages like this, like, yeah, of course. I mean, can you imagine being there? You're listening to Jesus and all of a sudden you you hear A ruckus up on the roof. You see debris starting to fall. You look up expecting to see a ceiling. Instead, you see four or five dirty faces peering in through the roof. And then they start lowering something and you realize there's a guy on that bed that Matt being lowered down right before the one who's teaching. What would be going through your mind? Probably something like, what in the world? Or, I hope they don't drop him. Or Probably the only thing not going through your mind is, well, obviously, naturally, of course, what else would you expect uh, during a Bible study? Uh, but look how Jesus responds. Seeing the faith of the man's friends, he tells the paralytic, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, there are some things that strike us as immediately odd about that. First, Jesus' response seems to ignore the obvious concern. The man is paralyzed. This is the sort of response we expect when somebody like Peter comes, throws himself down at Jesus' feet and says, Depart from me, I'm a sinner. This man's being brought to Jesus because he's paralyzed. We're expecting the paralysis to be healed. We expect Jesus to say something like, arise and walk. But there's something else that seems odd as well. It says that Jesus' response of forgiveness is in response to the faith of the man's friends. And that's not what we expect. We're we're Americans after all. We're a land of individuals to show Jesus or to see Jesus show kindness to a paralytic because of the faith of others strikes us as as at least un-American and and maybe Uh, un-Protestant. We don't don't like this. It makes us uncomfortable, but that's okay. Uh, Jesus isn't here to make us comfortable. Those religious leaders who were there had their own concerns they began asking, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, they knew the significance of, of what Jesus was saying. Had he simply said, arise and walk, they might see him as, as having power, as being a healer. He declared this man's sins atoned for and forgiven. He, he wiped out this man's moral debt before God. And that was too much for these leaders to allow. Who does he think he is? Only God has the prerogative to forgive sin. Blasphemy, they say. And here's the thing. They're right, well at least to an extent. <laughs> They are right in this. If Jesus can forgive sins, he is God. That is what is at stake here. Jesus asked the leaders, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? And the point is that spiritual healing is harder and it is more important than physical healing. What benefit is it to address this man's physical needs but to ignore his spiritual needs. But just to show that there's power behind his words, that he does have the power to forgive sins, he gives a physical demonstration of his power. He tells the man to rise, pick up his bed, and go home. And then he did. The paralytic gets up gathers his things, and he heads home. And everyone there was amazed. They, they knew they were witnessing something spectacular. And we agree, it is amazing. But it's even more amazing when we read it in context with what we saw last week. Last week, we saw that both Simon and the leper fell down, verses 8 and 12, before Jesus. Both of them, were told, fell down before Jesus, like they were dead. They both laid their lives before Jesus in total surrender. And now we have a man who is lying before Jesus like a dead man with no use of his body, and Jesus says, rise and walk. And then we're told that he rose and he went home. And as we will see in just a few minutes, Levi will mirror this and that he will also rise and go home. And that language is intentional. Last week, lying down two times. This week, rising up two times. There's this beautiful picture of death and resurrection, lying down and being raised. The paralytic is being given a new life. And so is Levi. (laughs) So who's Levi? Well, we're told he's a tax collector. Uh, In Matthew's uh, account of this passage, we're told that his name is Matthew. And whether Levi was his Hebrew name and Matthew was his Greek name, or if Jesus later renamed him as he did with Simon, we don't know in his case. But we do know that we're looking at one of the 12 original disciples. Jesus looks at him and says, verse 27, follow me. And like James and John and Simon, he leaves everything and he follows Jesus. And again, notice that in verse 28, it's careful to say that he rose and followed Jesus. Just as Luke was careful to tell us that Simon fell before Jesus, he's equally careful to tell us that Levi rose. And like the paralytic, he went home. And yet there's more. Jesus went with him, and Levi threw him a great feast. Feasting is an act of joy. Levi is celebrating his new life. He's left everything behind, and he's celebrating what is new in his life, his new beginning. And now next week, we're going to look at how the Pharisees were very displeased with feasting. They would prefer fasting, and we'll talk about all of that, Lord willing, next week. But for Levi, throwing a feast for Jesus was the most natural thing in the world. He's not dwelling on what he's leaving behind. He's celebrating what he's entered into. And what's more is he's not content to keep Jesus to himself. He's invited all his tax collector friends and others as well. Uh, in this day, tax collectors, I guess it's the same today, were uh, the most unloved people in society. Uh, more so back then because tax collectors had the ability to charge you whatever they want. They'd send to the government what was due and they'd keep the rest. And if you argued, you'd end up in jail. There was very little you could do. And everybody knew it. It was a wide open secret. And so tax collectors were not loved. And so... Levi's only friends were tax collectors uh, and some others. And yet Jesus was pleased to be at this feast with them. And again, the Pharisees and the scribes are disgusted. Who eats with sinners? Who spends their time with the dregs of society? Who would be willing to, to risk a tarnished reputation by spending time with such morally unclean people? And Jesus' response is, Why do you think I came? He came to heal. He came to make clean. To start something new. To give new life. He is the great physician, the great healer. No doctor worth his salt thinks that he is done when the cancer is removed, when the bone is set, when the infection is treated. It's not enough to simply remove the problem. The goal of any Good doctor is health, strength, vitality. The doctor wants you to regain your strength and return to a a healthy and rigorous life. Can you imagine if Jesus simply removed the paralysis of the paralytic and said, your paralysis is gone. With six to 18 months of physical therapy, you're going to be able to move that toe and maybe your leg. And in a few years, you might be able to stand up. Jesus did not just come to forgive sins, but to give new life and strength. He doesn't just want the paralysis to be removed. He wants the paralytic to get up, to rise, to go out, to do something. And the same is true with Levi. He doesn't just call him to leave tax collecting behind and do nothing. He enters into something new with him. It could be no other way. And this brings us back to where we started in that little word that we struggle sometimes to define, discipleship. We're going to see in chapter 6, Luke will define discipleship for us. Chapter 6, verse 40, a disciple is one who is being made to be like his master, his teacher. The Christian life Discipleship is about becoming more like Jesus. And that means to walk the road he has walked, to follow the pattern he has set. And so last week we saw that that uh, Jesus didn't just call Peter to lay down his life, but Jesus himself was willing to lay down his life. He was calling Peter to do something he was willing to do. And so when Jesus went out into the wilderness... At the end of the passage, we saw that that was a picture of the death, he would die. Hebrews 13 brings that up. He suffered outside the camp, suffered in the wilderness in order to die in our place and to remove our sin. And so it's no surprise that, that a miracle that pictures death is immediately followed by a miracle that, that includes one rising as if from the dead. The paralytic is, is raised to new life, and it's a sign that Jesus will not remain in the grave. Death will not have the last word. It will not have victory. He will rise again to newness of life. And in rising from the dead, he has given the authority to give new life to others. 1 Corinthians 15.45 His resurrection is proof that he has conquered death, that he has the power of eternal life in his hands to give new life, eternal life, to whom he will. So it's no surprise that in order to prove to the Pharisees that he has the power to forgive sins, that he used a miracle that pictured a resurrection. In the healings of the leper and the paralytic, we have this glorious picture of what Jesus will do to heal his people. He will lay down his life and he will rise to new life. This is what Jesus has done, not not simply to accomplish our salvation, but to also set a pattern for us as his disciples to follow. And so between Simon and Levi, we have this picture of what discipleship looks like, dying to the old and living to the new. Simon falls down before Jesus confesses his sin in an instructive image for us. When we come to Jesus, we start by acknowledging our sin and our uncleanness. We confess our unworthiness and we lay our lives down and place ourselves at his mercy. We leave everything behind, but that's not the end. God doesn't call you to remain there. He calls you to rise and go forth. He calls you to bask in the newness of life and to live it. Giving up your life for Jesus is just the beginning. Jesus calls his children to go forth in new life, and new obedience, to love, to serve, to worship, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And so really... That means that the Christian life can't be lived in isolation. There's a context in which this discipleship takes place. There's a community that God calls his people into. Did you notice how how much friends play a part of both of these stories, both with the paralytic and with Levi. The paralytic is, is brought to Jesus by his friends. His story does not begin with him by himself, but, but the love of his friends that they had for him. He has friends who, who knew who Jesus was and believed that they could help their friend. And so they brought their friend they would let no obstacle stand in their way. Even if that meant tearing apart a roof and lowering him down through the newly dug hole. Likewise, having tasted of his new life, Levi immediately calls his friends to come and to meet Jesus. He wanted them to taste of the new life he had. He wanted them to know the joy that had come to define his life. No longer is he taking from others. He throws the feast. He puts the bill. He presents us all before others and says, let me bless you because I have been blessed. He doesn't disappear into the mountains or find a cave to live in. He wants his friends to know the joy that has come to define his life. He doesn't isolate and hide himself in a Christian bubble. He goes forward and and he brings Jesus to his friends and he brings his friends to Jesus. Jesus. Christian life is not a solitary endeavor. It's lived out in the context of people, of community. Calling people to come and follow Jesus, of of gently correcting other Christians when, when they stray from the path, encouraging them when they are weak and discouraged, listening to them when they're encouraging you or correcting you when they speak into your life. Love for Jesus is demonstrated in showing love to others. It's in the church that discipleship takes place. It's, it's in the church that you learn continually to put the old to death and live to the new. It's in and through the church that, that Jesus shapes you to be more and more like him. You can't follow Jesus without the church. You can't belong to him, not belong to his church. You can't follow Jesus outside the community of disciples. The Christian life is never a solo endeavor. And this point is driven home for us in the Lord's Supper. We know that it pictures Jesus' death, his dying on the cross laying down His life for us. We know that we have to use bread and wine because His body has been raised to new life and has ascended, gone home uh, to be with the Father. We know that the Lord's Supper is a call for us to be shaped by the life of Jesus, to be more like our Master. We want to have Him in us, changing us, transforming us. And so the Lord's Supper is a call to love others as he has loved you. And so it is also a wonderful picture of the reality that to belong to Jesus means belonging to each other. First uh, Corinthians 10 puts it this way. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Jesus or Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And then Paul says this, I love this. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. It's meant to be a picture for us of what we are. We're we're members of each other, tied to each other. The Lord's Supper is a constant reminder that we have not simply been saved, but, but we've been saved into a family. Our calling, then, is to walk in newness of life by serving each other in that community and calling others to join it. The Lord does not simply call a man to lay down his life, but he raises him up to newness of life and says, follow me. Beloved, this is what the Lord is doing in your life. This is what the calling of of Simon and Levi Uh, This is what these two callings are meant to teach you. In these passages, our, our God is speaking to us and he is saying, rise and follow me. And Please bow with me in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you have not just called us out of the world. You have called us into a glorious new reality, a wonderful new life. Help us to walk forward each day in newness of life. Help us to bring you to our friends and our friends to you. Help us to appreciate the community you've given us in the church. Help us to see loving and serving as a privilege and not a burden. And through our lives with each other, may we be more and more like you. We ask this in the name of our beloved Savior. Amen.